Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 69. Allen Flight Extended Wingtips. So some builders have the skill and motivation to try out new ideas, to experiment, and to innovate. Although not to be taken lightly, sometimes the results are pretty impressive. So we'll speak with Tim Allen of Allen Flight, and we'll talk about his wingtip modifications, hear about the installation process, and some of the results that he's achieved using these new tips. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonics 1374. Joining me are my two good flying buddies, John Gillis and Gary Motley. John Gillis is an experienced Sonics builder. He's a glider pilot and a world traveler. <laughs> and now he's recently finished and flying his new B-model YX conversion, the Super B. So, John, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing really good. Um, just kind of coming out of winter hibernation here. Well, if your weather has been like ours, um, we're getting a taste of spring. And uh, I'll tell you, I, it can't get here soon enough. I am done with winter. I'm ready for some decent days. Yeah, we're uh, <clears throat> we're definitely getting into the spring season. But in Colorado, especially in the front range, that means the melting of the uh, ice cap. And so our taxiways are muddy. Our uh, runways are questionable. And it's really a challenge to try to get out and fly right now. Just just logistically to get the airplane to the edge of the runway. I find myself, you know, kind of wimping out sometimes and thinking, do I really want to pull my plane through the muck and have to clean up the underside of the wings and the wheel pants and all that? Maybe I'll just wait another day or two and let it dry up. Exactly where I am right now. We don't have that much of a problem here. We're pretty dry. We had a, we had a really wet uh, spring on the front range, which is really good because normally we're really drought-stricken. Uh, we're, we're, we appreciate the the rain or the snow and the uh, snowpack, but boy, this is the time of year where you go, wow, I, you got to pay for it. Start getting spring fever for sure. Well, and um, Gary Motley uh, will be joining us here in just a little bit. He's running just a little bit late, so we're going to drive on. And our, our guests for this episode are Tim Allen and Jerry Friedman. So Tim, Jerry, thanks for spending a few minutes and talking to us. And how are things going? Things are going good. We're we're enjoying some very nice flying weather here the last week or so. And, and Tim, just for everybody, uh, just r why don't you tell us so where are you guys located and uh, put that in perspective for us. Um, we are located uh, about 30 miles west of Grand Junction, Colorado at Mac Mesa. Call sign is 10CO. And we have a uh, elevation of about 4,700 feet out here. Right, and I think that's um, that's important to kind of just to prep the field for that and other high altitude, high density altitude type of um, operation. So a lot of us uh, sure. now, now in the Midwest, uh, we think about high altitude as being, you know, 2,500 feet. <laughs> and you guys, you know, you're really getting after it uh, with some of these higher field elevations. Hey, guys, I'm at, at 7,000 feet. And, uh, you know, that you, you guys are, are flying down near where the, the air is really thick. <laughs> That's impressive. Your field elevation is 7,000? 7,400 or 7,040 feet. Wow. 
I don't miss that at all, John. I, I enjoy the the higher performance of being at 990 feet. You know, but the really fun surprise is when you go to like Oshkosh at 800 feet, your airplane is so much different and so much more fun down there. We call that fat air. <laughs> well, you know, it's addictive. Uh, you try it and you won't want to give it up. Well, you buy the turbocharger and just bring a sea level to the high altitude. Yeah. Well, um, Tim, Jerry, why don't we kick this off with a little bit of background? So why don't you guys uh, take a few minutes and tell us about yourselves and um, kind of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And then we'll get into some of these other cool things you guys are working on. Well, I'll go ahead and kick it off. And, and my background is I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a house where um, my dad always had one, two, three airplanes in the garage going at any given time helicopters, gyroplanes, uh, sailplanes, you name it, we were, uh, he was involved in it. And, uh, I, I would definitely say that's where the, my bug started. And, uh, you know, I grew up just helping build, build airplanes and be around it and, uh, hundreds of model airplanes along the way. And, uh, then, in my college years, I, I also competed in the DARPA aerial robotics competitions in 96 and 2000, and we did pretty good with that. And then really after that, just, uh, you know, did some flying, but mostly raising a family. And uh, here until uh, my youngest son is now uh, 15, and he's been very interested in aircraft. And uh, part, a big part of the reason that I bought a Sonex was specifically to um, help teach him how to fly. And so uh, that kind of brings, brings a real quick background up to this point. I'll let Jerry jump in here. He's got, he's got a pretty extensive aviation background. Nowhere is near as interesting. I learned to fly in college. Actually, I traded radio repair for flying lessons. I've yet to invest in my first real flying lesson. Or at least pay anything for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, shortly after that, the industry I was in was engineering, dried out the part of it I was in, and wound up getting a temporary job at the airport, and I was there for the next 50 years. At this point, I've accumulated about 10,000 hours or something over that, flying mostly small piston stuff in the Northeast. I got to play with lots of weather. A few years ago, I retired and moved to Colorado, and decided I just wanted a fun airplane, so I went out and bought the Sonic. I've been playing with that for a couple of years now. It was uh, new but not debugged, so it's been an interesting experiment. So that kind of brings us up to this point, which, uh, you know, within the last couple of years anyway. And um, what launched me into the wingtip scenario was a flight that I took with one of the, one of the, not the first, but one of the first flights I took a passenger, and it's another buddy of mine, uh, CFI. He's a, he's actually down in uh, Phoenix right now getting his double I, and uh, he weighs about 200 pounds, and I'm about 225, and um, we had a density altitude that day of somewhere around 62 to 6,500 feet. And we did manage to get airborne, but it was a very anemic uh, flight, to say the least. And um, after that experience, you know, we were probably getting 50 to 75 feet a minute climb rate. It was it was pretty sad. 
And we were just over gross weight. And just so you guys know, I'm flying the non-turboed AeroV at, at 80 horsepower at sea level. So maybe we're getting like 65 horsepower up here, something like that. And after after buzzing around for really, it was a pretty short flight, but maybe 20 minutes and and landed. And it was it was uneventful, but it was also not an experience that I wanted to repeat. Uh, so after that, um, you know, of course, you, you start thinking about the different things that you could do to maybe improve the performance and kind of backing up is I, I bought it with the intention of uh, doing training with my son who doesn't weigh anywhere close to 200 pounds, but he's also not getting any smaller. And so I kind of realized that I had a big single place airplane at this elevation, you know, for all practical purposes. Um, you could take a light passenger, but you couldn't really take somebody that was uh, pushing you near that 1,100 pound gross. And I want to say, let's see, that day we were at about 1,120 pounds is where we were at. And uh, so, uh, uh, long story short is uh, back back in the 90s, late 90s, uh, there was a gentleman, uh, a, a retired NASA engineer named Bob Hoey. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with him, but uh, there were several he. He published several articles on bird flight, specifically uh, bird control, bird stabilization, and how the how the wingtips flow. And then if you jump forward now, you've got uh, that research with the NASA Prandtl uh, research that they've been doing here in the last five years. There's several good articles about that out there, and. Uh, with my with my elementary understanding of what they were trying to do is what launched me into uh, doing this particular wingtip design, trying to get the get the better performance that uh, that we're trying to achieve. And so I think Jerry and everybody else at the airport probably thought I was crazy in the beginning, uh, cutting off my existing wingtips and and playing with this stuff but you know i'll let jerry respond here for a minute as as to what he may or may not have been thinking as i was going down this road go ahead jerry well, like the scariest part was when you, when you take your airplane and he comes out with a cutter and says well we're just going to make the end of the wing square it just starts chopping through the skin and squaring off the end of the ailerons now that was a traumatic day online <laughs> i've always been big on making mods you can undo and this one wasn't quite so easy to undo right Hey, Jerry, um, it looks like uh, Gary has joined in. Hey, Gary, are you there? I am. I okay. am, after all the technical difficulties. Yep, yep, we got you connected. So, uh, you know, Gary, um, we're on with Tim Allen and Jerry Friedman. And so they were just talking about a little bit of the background and kind of you heard the last part of that about teeing up to the point where they were contemplating, Tim was contemplating, uh, you know, making this major change and then starting to pull it off. So, John, um, you were starting to say something. I'll turn it back over to you. Actually, it what uh, I think Jerry was saying was <clears throat> you had to, you made a, a point where you started cutting the wing. Uh, you, you, you cut the tips off. I, I assume that these wing tips were basically you pull the old 
uh, fiberglass cap off and you kind of somehow weld on your new ones. But you're talking about actually cutting back the skins. Just the top, like you do, you square the tip up and you're going to, and we'll get into that later when we talk about the actual install, but uh, the top wing skin and the bottom wing skin end up uh, squared off. That is correct. So the top one you're actually cutting, the bottom one, there's a small extension strip due to the the uh, sort of parabola-shaped uh curve at the very bottom of that cutout all right well that that definitely has to make a little bit of a pucker in uh, certain body parts when you're doing that well it you know you're fully committed when you uh when you start cutting that off i suppose well you can always splice it in if you had to you know we i saved the old pieces jerry jerry did he's really adamant uh, and 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 i appreciate this about him but he 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 wanted he would have liked to have had it to where it just slipped on without a lot of modification. Um, the problem with that is that uh, the the shape of the wingtip does not conform to the existing uh, shape perfectly, and so and no matter what, you're going to extend that bottom section out to to get enough attachment points because the structural portion of this is uh, all the loads are transferred through the skins and the spar extension is really just a compression member, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a good point. Uh, I, Tim, if you have a couple of good photos that I can put on the show notes, maybe we'll just uh, tell everybody to push pause, go take a look at these pictures so they get a good mental image of everything that you're going to describe in detail here. And And maybe if we just back up just a little bit, Tim, in, in very rough, round terms for people that are not familiar with, with the extensions, uh, give us the, the vital stats on what these things are and kind of describe what they're going to look like. And then we can, maybe that'll help people conceptualize uh, some of these processes that you're talking about. Okay, let's do that. Um, you know, we sort of jumped into the tail end of this, which I thought would be kind of the install. But uh, as far as the general specs of the tip itself, they uh, are extending the wingspan on each side about two feet. Um, there's a, the, the wing tapers on the leading edge at about 45 degrees. The wingtip cord at the tip itself is about 27 inches. And what you end up with is a wing area. Grab a couple of notes here. A wing area on each tip that adds about eight square feet. And so just from just from that perspective, I've got a couple of notes here on on what that did to to everything. Yeah, Tim, so the way I the way I kind of, kind of walk, go ahead. Uh, the, the way I kind of think about it is if you're familiar with the way the 1X optional long wingtips are, 
it's this kind of molded wingtip that you kind of slip over the end of the wing, and it provides yeah. a, a riveted-on tip that um, extends the span out and adds some additional area. Yours are very similar. They're a fully molded unit that you kind of slip over the end of the wing. They're not rectangular in, in section. They're kind of a triangle shape, roughly. And um, they add that additional area and additional span. And so maybe that kind of helps people better understand what we're talking about. I, I would say that's an accurate, very accurate description. Um, the, I'll just run through these specs real quick and percentage changes. Uh, okay. So span goes from 22 to 26 feet, which is an 18% change. Wing area from 98 to 114, which is a 16% change. Now, here's the big one. And you may not realize it right offhand, but the aspect ratio goes from a 4.8 to a 6.0. Uh, and that is a 25% change. Yeah. And just um, the wing loading. For people that don't have a real good gut feel for aspect ratio, um, you know, aspect ratio of four to five is still a relatively squat aspect ratio. When you start getting up, you know, six or greater, you start having a, a more slender, more efficient wing. And so that's a big deal right there. It is. I, I would liken it to, uh, you know, why why several uh, commercial or general aviation manufacturers went from a Hershey bar wing to a, uh, a tapered, longer span wing for the same uh, type of performance change. Mm -hmm. um, Jerry, I'm sure, can speak to that over the years. But uh, anyway, the, so the last, last thing would be uh, the wing loading change. And I'm just using an 1,100-pound uh, weight as a baseline. And so uh, with, with the original setup, you've got about an 11 pound, 11 and a quarter pound wing loading that drops to about a nine and three quarter pound wing loading. And so that is significant because simply put, uh, to fly at a lighter, lighter wing loading, you need less angle of attack. Your, your AOA drops. Uh, your lift coefficient uh, drops because you're just not packing as, uh, as much weight per square foot. Those are the big number changes that are just the fixed number changes. Uh, you know, there's some other stuff going on, and I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to describe of that, and I'm hoping that you guys can, can understand and help me help you follow along with uh, – with what's going on with the actual span-wise lift line and uh, try to get that out there as well at, at some point in this conversation. But, okay, uh, well, one, one last thing to kind of, again, to fully tee this up so that people are in the right frame of mind. Um, why would you even consider making a change to do all these increases? What is the potential goodness that you're going after in this modification? Well... Believe it or not, I wasn't actually going after a wingtip that would do any of the lifting work at all. Um, even though it does do some of it, the real goal was to eliminate all of the losses that are happening at the uh, at the wingtip in the existing Sonex. So um, you're getting a a fairly significant loss due to uh, your wingtip vortices, your downwash on the trailing edge side of the wing, and you're losing, or I should say the affected wing area because of that is right somewhere around 10 square feet. So by adding that tip, 
what's happening is is that you're moving you're utilizing all of what is already there all of the original sonex wing is now out of that affected area or close to it it's not exact but basically you're taking advantage of all of the 22 feet that was there without uh, a significant loss does that make sense yeah absolutely and and i i describe it as if you can clean up the airflow around the tip, you can just use the wing more efficiently. That extra efficiency gets you more performance. Correct. And so uh, instead of thinking of it from the terms of why would I go through the effort to increase wing area and do all of that, the, the real idea behind it wasn't that. It was simply to what was the minimum tip that I could put on it that would utilize 100% or as close to 100% of the existing wing that's already there. Okay. And then, Tim, before we get too far down into some of the other details, I just I want to cover this explicitly. You know, why would Sonics design the tip the way they did rather than maybe put a more complicated tip on in the first place? What, what's your opinion on that? Um, cost, simplicity. The, the, the one thing I will say about the Sonics design and John Manette is – it's it's a beautiful piece of engineering. I mean, there's nothing there was nothing wrong with the Sonex or the Sonex wing. In fact, uh, the the style tip that he put on there is about as efficient as you're going to get. It's just the fact that you've got that 54 inch cord sticking out there, and there's nothing that you can do about that uh, in a really short dimensional scenario, uh, other than sort of what I did. Yeah, um, that, that's my opinion as well. Um, if you look at something that's easy to make and it is dirt simple and gives you the best bang for the buck, it would look exactly like what Sonics did. Uh, absolutely. If, There's if no you want to, yeah, if you want to step it up and maybe uh, make it more complicated, heavier, more work to build and implement, more costly, all those potential negatives. There's some additional efficiency to be had, but that's the that's the choice the designer has to make. Is you know what are they really going for? I think Sonics hit a home run with making it as simple and as direct as they did. Uh, but that's not to say that there's not some places that we can continue to tinker with. So I just I think that's important to acknowledge right off the bat. Well, you also have to remember that 20 years ago the option of a carbon fiber tip didn't really exist. You were stuck with aluminum, and especially for something someone was going to build, you start putting these complicated. Uh, multi-section curves in it, it just isn't going to work. Yeah. Okay. So I, from a manufacturing viewpoint. Right. Uh, Anyway, I just, I want to make sure that we kind of prep the conversation so the people in the right frame of mind, what is it? Why, you know, why are we talking about it? Um, And, and then going forward, you know, we can, I think, anyway, I won't, I won't belabor that anymore. So um, you were starting to talk about some of the airflow characteristics that uh, that you were going to clean up. Maybe that's a place to kind of jump into the technical side of it. Maybe you can give us the the two minute version instead of the thirty minute version about um, how the the shape that you ultimately settled on is going to do some of that cleanup work. So I'll do my best to keep it short here, but uh, I, I'm assuming that everybody has basically seen uh, the 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 plan view, the top view of the wingtip, and more or less how it's shaped. Is that correct? 
Well, I'll put a link uh, in the show notes to some pictures that will show it off. So anybody that hasn't seen it, they can pause the, the recording. They can jump over to the website, look at the pictures, and come right back, and then they'll, they'll, they'll have seen it. Gotcha. So the, the one significant thing that may not be real, really that apparent when you're just looking at pictures is the fact that I have uh, roughly a six-degree washout in that in uh, in in the tip in that 24 inches so it's washing out to what would be a, a very highly negative angle of attack if you if you want to look at it that way and the reason that I came up with that specific uh, twist to the tip was I was looking for a zero lift scenario at the climb angle that we were, that I could estimate I was getting uh, during climb out at full gross weight. And the reason that that's important is because as, as you get to the tip, the, if you can get it to a zero lift scenario, in other words, the, the, the airfoil and the angle of attack is not producing any lift at that point, or actually NASA has went clear to, the point where they're actually producing a negative lift and still getting more positive results. They, their, their scenario is more wrapped around cruise than climb. But what I was after is basically a bell-shaped lift line. In other words, as you, as you look at a lift line across any given wing, it's going to start uh, with the highest lift towards the middle where the where all the airflow is pretty straight, top and bottom, over the wing. As it migrates to the end, it can't help but uh, change its airflow where the bottom of the air, uh, the air flowing over the bottom starts pushing outwards. And then on the top surface, it actually starts pushing inwards. Then when these two high-low pressure areas meet, that's what's creating your what, what everybody knows it as vortice, but as a downwash, uh, is really what's happening. And so by softening that is how I'm going to describe it. In other words, by putting all of that twist and going to a zero lift scenario, what that does is it softens the, uh, the of pressure at the very tip and and the positive result of that is a much smaller vortice, a smaller downwash, and a smaller loss of effective wing area at the tip. Would it also account basically as a, as a general net reduction in induced drag? Correct. That's the key word. That's the big word we're talking about is induced drag. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a... That's a good way of describing it without getting too far down into the weeds. I think that that serves our purposes pretty well. Well, so in general, then, if you have any any drag reduction, whether it's induced drag, parasitic drag of any form or, or function, uh, basically the air, airfoil becomes more efficient. And generally, I think you would expect uh, a higher performance value uh, based on the, the power that you have available. I would agree. I, 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 although I think that, uh, and I would say that I'm guilty of this, but as you really start to understand induced drag, uh, it's somewhat underestimated how, how big of an impact it is. 
No, no, I don't underestimate it at all. We can get an entire other aerodynamics discussion on that one later on. Well, I'm talking, I was just talking about me personally, but uh, yeah. But in any case, that was the goal. And the, and the end result goal was to really be able to fly up at this elevation uh, with that stock AeroV and, uh, and, you know, have a real two place airplane. And I described the, the flight with my friend who weighed 200 pounds uh, that sort of launched me into this line of thinking. Um, and so now is probably a good time for me to tell you about uh, the sort of the aha moment after I put the wingtips on. I had several test flights on. And uh, another friend of mine, he's an engineering buddy of mine, uh, a pilot, and he weighs 230 pounds. And again, I'm 225. And with the wingtips all up weight that day, we were at about 11, 1160 pounds was our takeoff weight. Um, we had a density altitude, again, of about 6,500 feet. Um, so right off the bat, you know, and, and I wasn't necessarily, I hadn't really tested it heavy loaded, but this was the, was the test and we, we had planned on doing this timed climb. And so right off the bat, it, it got off the runway quicker than I thought it was going to. The climb out felt really good. Um, when we, when I, I did, I, I just kind of played with it a little bit that heavy. So we got up to about 7,000, um, which is really 8,800 feet with the density altitude figured in. Um, so we did this climb from 7,000 to 8,000 feet, and it took just under four minutes. It was like two seconds under four minutes. So we had a 250-foot-a-minute climb rate under those circumstances. And so as I compare that flight to the flight which was actually lighter, but barely getting, you know, 50 feet a minute. That's where I'm, that was basically the moment that I said they, they definitely had a significant impact on, on the performance. And that's a really valid comparison because same airplane, more or less, same engine. You didn't overhaul your engine or make major modifications. You just, um, you know, one flight was before the tips and one flight was at without the tips and Correct. so um, we're not comparing, you know, Gary's airplane to, you know, Mike Farley's airplane in different part of the country with a different everything. So, yeah, that's good. No, and you don't know how the air is that day. That's it. That's the other variable is uh, if you're in lift or if you're in sink or if the air is pretty uh, stable, you know, those factors do play into it to some degree. But um uh, without a doubt, uh, flying heavy after the tips, I've had nothing but uh, uh, good performance. Relatively speaking, of course, you know we're not uh, we're not screaming at 500 feet a minute. But when you're going from 50 feet a minute to 250 feet a minute, that's a pretty big jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, since we're talking performance, why don't you run down your list of observed performance changes? Well, I think I, I think I gave you the, the biggest one, but I will go ahead and give you the, the other ones that were a byproduct. Now, so 
really not trying to reduce stall speed. We've, we've noticed uh, at least four, four miles an hour slower in the stall speeds in both Jerry and mine. Actually, Jerry seemed to be a lot more than that, but it's when you're just doing indicated, it's, yeah, hard, to, don't trust it's, that. it's hard to know exactly where you're at. But definitely a slower uh, stall, which would make sense with a lighter wing loading. Um, the the one that was a surprise is anytime you add a cross section uh, to an aircraft, you can assume that you're going to get uh, a certain amount of more you know more drag just based on cross section moving through the air. And the, the reality is is that I've experienced really a little bit better cruise. And, and no change on the top end of it. And so uh, a little better stall, a little better cruise. Um, and then yesterday, actually, because I figured uh, we, would, we might get into this a little bit, and I think maybe John had asked me about this a while back, and that was spin and spin recovery type characteristics. Was that you, John? Yeah, I, I, had, I emailed you uh, previously about some of the uh, characteristics. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't have uh, a real conclusive spin recovery. What I will tell you is that I attempted to spin it yesterday, and even with a significant cross-control induced, I had a surprising effect of uh, it, it simply bucked harder in a stall but would not induce a spin. And... Uh, I'm not saying I can't get it into a spin because I sure, I'm sure I can. And uh, what happens to me is I, my flights are fairly short during the week because usually I'm running out to the airport at lunchtime and, and Jerry and I will get in a quick flight. But, uh, uh, but the, the curious uh, thing that happened was that uh, it, it just did not really want to go into a spin at all initially. Um, and so I'm going to be doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna zoom into a stall here. Uh, one of my one of my other good friends that uh, is an engineer at Cessna for about 20 years. I've talked it over with him several times, and he he suggested that I zoom into the stall a little harder and uh, and possibly uh, a little more power to induce the spin. But that's what I have to report on that at the moment. Have you done any um, VNE testing um, to see if any flutter is is uh, induced? We um, have getting it right up to the VNE, or, or, or even beyond it. We haven't went beyond it, beyond it, but we went ran right up to it. And then induced a a, a control uh, input, and it didn't uh, induce any kind of flutter. Well, I'll let Jerry tell that part of it because we were we were in Jerry's airplane when we, uh, you know, I've done it single, I've done it by myself, but this was done with both him and I in his airplane. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, it seemed to be absolutely stable. It just picked up. It seemed to pick up speed faster, which surprised me. But we were up at the red line. And it was just flying as it always did. Well, I think that's a that's a statement for the stability and the design of the Sonics more than you adding wingtips to it. I would agree with that. Yeah, maybe the the safest thing to say is um, in all the the poking around in, in the flight envelope that you guys have done so far, uh, there ha have not been any any skeletons 
revealed that may have been, um, you know, changed as a result of the tips? No, nothing negative at all. In fact, I've just been surprised at some of the positive uh, aspects of it outside of what I what I intended it to do. Mm -hmm. So, Jerry, I'm kind of curious, um, maybe you can just describe when when you flew your airplane after the first time after you, you made the modification. What was what was kind of your impressions on how it felt, you know, control and just the way the airplane was feeling and flying? Maybe maybe that would be interesting to hear your perceptions of that. You know, I, I like it. I'm not particularly tall. And for one thing, since the wing's a little longer, it meant the nose was a little bit lower. And I find, especially if you're going up to just cruise and you pull the power back, I thought it felt much better, at, especially at slower speed. It was just a much more comfortable flying airplane if you're just going up for a nice ride. Mm-hmm. So you said you were climbing at a lower deck angle. Is that, is that what you said? Well, when you're cruising, you're at a, at a somewhat lower deck angle. I, I guess what made it confusing for me is not long before we put that on, I had just added the turbo system, which can, of course, I was still getting used to that. But I now routinely climb at 95 to 100 miles an hour. I run, I basically use the turbo to turbo normalize it. So at 30 inches, I'm getting five, 600 feet a minute at 95 miles an hour which is way more than I ever did before. Yeah, okay. I guess that's probably a, an important thing to note for anybody kind of following along. Tim, your airplane is normally aspirated, and Jerry, yours is turboed. Yeah, so we can, sort of play, we can play with both options. Yeah. there's a. I did post a YouTube video of Jerry's first flight. I don't know if you guys uh, watched that or not. I had watched all your videos, and I'll put a link to your YouTube channel um, and your Facebook page in the show notes also, so people can go and take a look at what you have on each of those. Gotcha. Okay, so, Jerry, the first flight was um, was easy and comfortable, and it impressed you with the, the lower angle and, and uh, I guess, just the overall feel of the airplane. Huh? It, it just felt more comfortable. It was, you know, in some ways, if you've ever compared, like, a Cherokee to a 172, the 172 just has a more stable feel to it. In the old Hershey bar wings, I guess. Newer Cherokees, they basically did the same thing. They extended the wing and tapered it. Mm-hmm. And then you're basically doing the you know stuff that, you know, when John gave the talk on how and why the Sonics was designed, he was trying to keep manufacturing costs down. And obviously, especially 25 years ago, putting a complex compound curves in the aluminum would have been a major deal. And I think he did a spectacular job given what he was aiming to do with the airplane. Uh-huh. But... You know, nowadays you can play and you know, have someone, someone like Tim who can magically take this carbon fiber and make it into the shape he wants. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, I, well, I, that's think, a, I, I, I just want to input one thing here is uh, Jerry was not really on board with these wingtips when I was doing it. Um, he was very skeptical and, um, you know, and, and I can appreciate that. I, I didn't know if it was going to work. I mean, I, I didn't think I was doing anything dangerous, but I didn't know exactly what the performance change was going to be. But I think ultimately what had, what sold him on, uh, doing it on his was the fact that we would go fly together all the time. And I'm about a hundred pounds heavier than him. And, and I was still performing. I don't know if I would say I was outperforming you, but I was certainly oh, not, not underperforming you at 100 pounds more uh, weight than, than where he was at. And now you're comparing two airplanes, so that's somewhat difficult. But 
more or less apples for apples with both of us. That was before Jerry had put the turbo on as well. Well, guys, um, as, as I know you've done the V&E test, and you said you tried to do some stalls and spins. Uh, what was your general impression about dynamic and static stability as far as any possible changes to what it might have been with the, with the Sonics before it was modified? To be honest with you, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, Jerry talks about it feeling, uh, having a better feel to me. To me, it just feels virtually identical. Um, I do know that mathematically the, the roll rate has slowed by about 6%, but uh, again, I don't notice that. There's no, nothing there. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody that's out there doing aerobatics all the time would notice that, but, uh, Generally speaking, I I notice that it does float a little bit more on landing, um, and and being that uh, the Sonax doesn't float that much anyway, that's not a terrible thing for it. And and that was actually on my very first flight. You asked him about his first flight when I first test flew it. Um, the biggest thing that I noticed was it just seemed to float down the runway a lot further than I expected it to. You know, you kind of got to get over the the, the sweats of uh, that first, um, you know, when Jerry flew his for the first time, he knew it was going to work. But uh, when I flew flew mine for the first time, it's just it's sort of like building an airplane going going to fly it for the very first time all over again. Well, with a four or five mile an hour reduction in stall speed, you know, that's extra energy that has to be dissipated in the flare. And if you add a few extra miles an hour of, you know, extra margin because you're not sure about what's happening, yeah, you could sure. very easily have to scrub off quite a bit in that in that landing flare. For sure. Okay. Well, maybe let's uh, transition um, back to the the construction, and then we'll we'll go into the installation. So, uh, Tim, maybe you can describe how are these things made, and uh, and then how are are, are a, how is a typical builder going to put these things on? especially on a plane that's already flying and they're talking about a retrofit. Sure. Well, let's, let's start with how they're constructed. Um, I, I've tried a, f- a couple of different things to this point, and, and I have actually tried a fiberglass only tip to this point, but I've settled on a, and again, we talked about this in the beginning, they're fully molded. And so uh, it's a, it's epoxy gel coat. It's uh one layer of a very fine fiberglass that uh, is just there to help the print of the carbon not go through the gel coat. Uh, then there's two layers of 8.5 ounce uh, carbon. And then at the attachment points where it actually attaches to the skins is a layer of uh, a, a strip of three inch wide um, six ounce Kevlar. And that does two things. It uh, it beefs up the attachment area, but it also separates the carbon from the aluminum attachment. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with what happens when you have carbon and, and aluminum together. You end up with uh, a potential, at least, for corrosion of the aluminum. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, that's, that's about it as far as how they're put together of course there there are two halves that are bonded together when they show up to you the only the only thing that has to be cut on the actual tip is notching it for the aileron itself 
all the other surfaces are are prepped and essentially you've got a little bit of you you'll have a little bit of primer to put on the bond lines and uh then they you can either leave them the white gel coat which is what jerry has right now or you can go to a fully painted scenario that's up to you but uh that that's essentially how they're uh put together they also uh the I would say the other thing that's worth noting is that they are post cured at a at an elevated temperature, and that's about it. They're they're the finished weight in, installed on each tip is about eight pounds a piece, and uh, I've I've built them a couple of different ways to this point, but the last several sets that I've done are I, I'm pretty well settled on on the aluminum spar extension. Uh, and the carbon Kevlar layup is is working well. Okay, and um, if you could describe the spar extension that you mentioned and how that kind of fits in with the tip. So um, you guys have all seen the the uh, what the spar looks like with that forty five degree bevel at the very end of the tip before you put your fiberglass tip on. So what we're doing is we're attaching to that web and um it is made out of 2024 t3025 it's bent into a channel um there are no lightning holes uh in the web itself like i said this is a uh a compression member uh only and and it 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 gets riveted in where the top of the spar extension and the top of the existing spar are flush does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if you want to think of it like dihedral, all the dihedral would be on the bottom. Okay. So the upper surface is still nice and smooth with the existing skin, but it tapers kind of on the bottom side. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. So the, the tip is not just riveted to the wing skins, top and bottom. It's also riveted to the center stiffener, which is in turn riveted to the existing spar. That is correct. So if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to sit on the wingtip, uh, they're not going to break off immediately. They might, uh, they might take a minute, huh? <laughs> well, you can, I haven't actually sat on it, but I'm sure you can. But, uh, um, you know, I can pick up the entire side of the airplane from the very tip of it. So sitting on it would not be a problem either. Yeah. And I guess um, I'm just thinking um, for anyone who might be worried that they're a little bit fragile and, and delicate it doesn't sound like that's really the case i i would definitely uh, say that they are not delicate no jeff looking at at the pictures i've seen on facebook and and things they have some sort of a uh, a spar uh running through them to give them some rigidity too so they're just not just these plastic tips you put on Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. yeah, there, there's a, there's that, that's the, uh, 025 2024 T3 aluminum, uh, spar extension is what that is. Now, does that, uh, I guess I would assume that that just kind of, you cut back until you can mate that to the existing spar. Cause, you know, in, in the normal Sonics, uh, wing tip, there's a little, you know, a little bit of a, the spar extension there. That's not very uh, structural. Are you riveting to that 
and that, that's where you're extending it from. So there, there's a web. That's correct. There's a there's a 45 degree web that extends down, and then there's actually on the on the original Son X, there's a, a little angle stiffener on that 45 in which uh, the the flat normal tip is attached to. Are you guys familiar? I'm sure you're familiar with that. So that little piece of angle uh, comes off and there's already a rivet line. And so, and then you do actually have to drill out the top two uh, solid rivets that are in the spar itself because we are attaching to that as well. Yeah, so that that's kind of where you graft it in is right there at that little yeah. that little very tip web that gets added. So there's a bit of surgery um, that's going to be uncomfortable but necessary to do this. Well, it is necessary because my so let me back up again. This is a it's not required to do the structural job as far as where the where the bending moments are happening. What what the job of of that spar extension is is simply a compression member and the my original tip that uh, that I flew and I, I'm actually still flying one uh, has a foam spar in it that is not even attached to the the original spar um, all that being said the foam box that is in there is doing the job that the now the aluminum spar extension is doing uh, which is the compression load and all the real loads are transferred through the skins themselves. Yeah, I think that's a good plan. Um, if you look at the loads out on those tips, the, the strength of the rivets just tearing out of the wing skins or the fiberglass, they can actually carry quite a bit of load. And the 1X is a good example. There's no real spar out there on the wingtip. They're just riveted on. It's the strength of the, of the, the rivets in the skin and the fiberglass. But that's not to say that, you know, that's the optimal way of doing it. That's just a sufficient way of doing it. I think the way you've done it, everything is very solidly joined. And uh, I can see how that thing becomes, you know, very rigid and, and very much part of the overall wing. Sure. Well, Jeff, even the, uh, even the Xenos, um, their extended wing tips are just held on with uh, piano hinge. Right. So, yeah. Right, which is ultimately through, through rivets. Okay, well, um, you know, we kind of started this whole thing with a, a sneak peek at at doing the surgery. You know, that kind of the the moment of truth when you when you start hacking away at your wing. So let's go back to where we started this and and talk us through that piece. Well, I'll just I'll just start running you through the the uh, the proper method of uh, installing this wing tip. And the first thing you you do is you remove the aileron, and that once once the aileron is removed. It also gets cut because it's got the little 45 degree uh, matching tip that has to be cut square. And it's cut square at a half inch outside of the last rib uh, rivet line, which is the two ribs that are real close together there that support the counterweight. The aileron comes off and, uh, and it gets cut square. Um, once, once you've got that done, you drill out the fiberglass tip. You're going to cut uh, the top wing skin square and the trailing edge spar gets cut because you're cutting off that 45 degree angle. And that dimension is two and three eighths outside of the last rib rivet center line. So essentially what you're trying to do is get 
the entire wingtip squared off at this location. Um, now the bottom is the funky part, and that is that uh, it's cut out and has that has that is nearly cut to that first rib. And so what I've done there is I've taken another piece of uh, 025 2024 T3, and it gets riveted into that to extend that uh, the bottom skin out so everything is square, uh, two and three eighths outside of the last rib uh, center line. So once you're to that point, um, you have to take off the little angle brace that's on the 45 that was used for the original tip install. And you're, you're then going to install uh, the spar extension. Once the spar extension is installed, um, and again, I'm not going to get into too much detail. It requires some pretty good pictures and dimensions to, to kind of get an idea of that, but it's pretty straightforward. Um, also, the, the leading edge of the wing is cut. It, there's a notch cut in it, which I provide a template for that. Um, then you're going to basically slide the, the whole wing tip onto the wing. You're going to square it up with, uh, with the rib. And the first holes you're going to locate are the original spar. Five, there's five holes that extend out on top that are straight out and once you locate those drill them you can clico it from that point on it's pretty straightforward you're just transferring holes over from the existing uh hole pattern that's in the ribs and uh transferring holes uh, in a pretty normal math uh, manner as far as going 332nd first and then chasing it all pull it all apart deburr it Put it back on, and you're ready to you're ready to rivet. Except for uh, at that point, I do recommend also putting scuff tape between the aluminum skins and the aluminum spar and spar extension before you do a final rivet on on the on the wingtip itself. And if you were doing a retrofit, this is not something that you need to remove the wings off of the fuselage for. You can do it just as it sits, right? I've done it both ways. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as long as you, I mean, you spend, you end up spending an hour or so under on the bottom side of the wing. But uh, uh, again, that's it's it's pretty easily done. Jerry's was done with the wings on. Uh huh. Install okay. time, I can do them in about six hours per tip, maybe a little less. Um, I would say the average person is probably looking at just because you have to decipher and you. Uh, uh, figure out exactly where you're going with it probably more like eight or ten hours per tip by the time it's all said and done yeah okay well john uh you did some surgery when you did your super b conversion and you had to kind of trim those skins on wings that were already built up did you find that to be nerve-wracking or difficult well it's definitely a case of um you are moving forward and not backwards so uh you definitely you measure three times and uh, cut once. On the, the B model conversion, the, the cutting was at the, uh, at the fuselage side of the wing. So the wings were off, and uh, you definitely 
you, you definitely looked at it three or four times, made sure that that's what you're going to do because once you do it, you're committed. And I think this is the kind of case with this. Yeah, there's there's no going back for sure. Well, I mean, I guess you could go back, but that was the other part that Jerry didn't really like about this. And, and uh, he, he asked me several times, is there a way we can do this so that uh, if I don't like them, I can go back and I just, you know, it, there probably is some way to do that. But uh, I feel like the insulation that I have is about as good as it can be, uh, obviously, if you're fully committed committed to going to the tips well now that somebody else has done all the hard work and uh you know proved them out um maybe that's not such a big deal anymore <laughs> well hopefully not yeah well, the bigger question is we're, we hear about the two planes that are flying it how many others are uh have gone this way there's two other there's one install that's complete in california but the airplane itself is not ready to fly um, there's another install that's going to happen here in about uh, a week and a half, and it may fly. It's a flying airplane, so it uh, it very well will fly here in a couple of weeks. And uh, outside of there is no other uh, flying versions other than the two that we have currently here. And then there's one other set that's out there that uh, it's not. He's got them, but they're not ready to be. His airplane is not ready to install them yet. And then many of the customers that, or potential customers, I suppose, really I've put a lot of people off and said, you know, tune into this podcast and uh, kind of get a, a wait for that and see what happens. Well, you've got one person on the podcast is very interested in this, and okay. so, and I'm 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 one that is also interested in, you know, moving away from the standard Sonics, so. You know, if I got a little bit of incentive, you know, you might have uh, another client here in Colorado. It's pretty easy to bring a set of tips over from uh, Grand Junction. That would be nice because it's the shipping is kind of a pain in the neck, to be honest. Just because they're fairly- yeah, will they fit in the back in the in the luggage compartment of a Sonics? No. <laughs> You're gonna have to build a temporary belly bag, John. <laughs> No, I'll just get uh, Carl's uh, 175, and we'll fly over and get it. I think I need more than Cherokee 6. They're no, Carl's big, 175 has got plenty of space. I'm sure we can shove them in there. <laughs> well, my daughter lives over in Colorado Springs, and Jerry's daughter lives over in uh, Westminster. Westminster. So, uh, you know, we're, I, I'm over there, I, I would say, a dozen times a year. Can we strap them to the bottom of a, a maybe a Zenith? Uh, 750 cruiser probably uh, <laughs> kind of cool. well then gary you have a you have a you have a mission yeah uh, to be your mule i understand <laughs> <laughs> you know you know backing up to to what jeff was saying about the original sonex design i i also would not have attempted uh this modification without knowing um, just how strong the Sonex wings are and the reputation. And, uh, you know, I've had people ask me about, cause we, we'll get into this a little bit later, but, uh, really it could improve the performance of just about any airplane that's got a, a Hershey bar wing. However, I would not feel comfortable putting it on just any airplane unless I knew how strong that wing was to begin with. And, and that's what gives me the confidence of doing it on the Sonex and, and again, another another 
praise for John Monette and the design itself because it is it is pretty spectacular. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's tremendously strong wing, but uh, you know, overall, guys, I have to say, you know, I'm always impressed and and somewhat belittled by you guys that are able to to venture out like this and, and take on an entirely different project and and have the guts to take the saws and skills and, and just start hacking away. So we're always excited to see this, but I do I do commend you quite a bit. Well, we're either crazy or commend worthy. I'm not sure which. <laughs> it always takes a little bit of both. Always takes a little both. Sure. Well, thank you. Tim, this is kind of my opinion on that. I, I would not want to clash with Sonics over over their design. And so I would I would avoid, you know, button heads with them directly over this issue. But I think that stuff like this kind of falls into the realm of, you know, do do you want to put autopilot in your Sonics? Sonics has said before uh, that is not really what they designed the airplane for. It's not, you know, it's not made for that. It's just a, a local fun flyer and all that. So you don't need autopilot. Well, that may be true, but there's no reason why you can't do it. And if, and if it's a well-thought-out, well-implemented solution, it may not be for everybody, but it's certainly a viable thing. And so although I would never recommend people go out there and haphazardly approach modifications. I think you have to have the wherewithal to uh, to know what's win- within your skill set and what's not. I think it's really interesting that, you know, we can continue collectively to kind of grow the design and evolve it. So that's my opinion. Well, and I, and I love the spirit of the experimental airplanes and, uh, you know, just growing up really when it was – when it was super exciting back in the in the mid '80s, and just tremendous aircraft were being developed, and and uh, we've lost some of that to a certain degree. But uh, that's the fun of, of this hobby and this uh, and just being in aviation in general. Well, I certainly think overall the kits have just gotten so much better these days. It's, it's almost not required the type of ingenuity and, and degrees that you've gone to, but. Uh, certainly still, you know, applaudable by, by any speculation. Yeah, the, the CNC routers and the CNC lasers have changed drastically uh, what we're able to do kit-wise and manufacturing-wise for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, uh, before we transition to some of the other cool stuff you guys are working on, is there any other aspect of the tips and, and all that that we ought to talk about before we move on? I think we pretty much touched on touched on everything that that I can think of. Do you guys have any? You know, you guys can dig as deep as you want to dig with me, and uh, I'll be honest whether if, whether it's testing or whatever. But anything that you guys have on your mind that uh, you'd like to ask me, and really the proof is in the pudding. And if you guys want to come down here and and uh, fly with us and, and see them firsthand, that would be fantastic. Well, I have a I have a question, um, and it's it's not really challenging you. It's basically, what, what is your background in the composite stuff? Um, you know, buying a Sonics or, or building a Sonics is a wholly different skill set than guys who build long easies and deal with composite fabrication. You guys have built wing tips out of carbon fiber and using molds that you've generated. What's your background in composite uh, um, manufacturing? Well, um, that, 
That's a good question. And it actually goes clear back to uh, when I, I was doing the DARPA competitions. And that's really what launched me into doing composites. And um, what we developed then were some of the first uh, uh, composite rotor blades. Um, the, the machine that we flew and developed was a 22 horsepower 3W engine. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the German uh, 3W brand engines, but uh, it was a it was a pretty cool project. And and through that, that that's sort of what launched it. Um, since then, uh, I've been in manufacturing all of my life and uh, have developed uh, several products as well as machine product products, which. Uh, really is my, uh, I guess, if you want to say my expertise is in the machining world. Um, but it really, it's, it's just mechanical things, mechanical engineering. And, uh, and I love all of that, that stuff. And, and that's just, it's just been a passion. Yeah. So John, to answer your question, you know, he's, he's got years and years of doing stuff like this professionally. He just goofs off on the side in carbon fiber, you know, unlike us poor schmucks who, who can't, you know, <laughs> use a can of Bondo properly. Well, you know, okay, yeah, this is my, my take on, on my impression with carbon fiber is, you know, yeah, I can go grab all this stuff and all these resins and all this neat stuff and I put together a big glob. And it doesn't look like uh, anything I'd want to put my uh, life behind. So why am I going to trust this guy to put the uh, the wingtips on my airplane? I, I think that's a fair concern. Um, I'm not really sure how to respond to that other than uh, they are professionally built. And uh, I do have many years of experience with it. Uh, uh, I guess Jerry Jerry. I'd be able to respond to this from the standpoint that uh, I, I've sort of been teaching him a little bit. He's been involved with it a little bit on on that end of things. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I'm not trying to discourage you. I, I, I'm basically saying if if it were if someone trusted me to build them wingtips, they should be really skeptical. <laughs> I, I understand. Um, and again, I'm not sure how to respond to that other than. I am very confident in the quality the, uh, of the product that I'm putting out, or I just won't do it. If you observe the finished finished project product, it's obvious he does a really good job with it. Looking at the inside and the outside and wherever you want. I, I've been corresponding with Don Bowen out in California. He's what that other set you mentioned, Correct. and uh, he was very pleased with um, the just the quality and the overall level of finish that um that he saw on those tips so I had nothing but good things to say and don's a pretty demanding customer so i think that's pretty high praise don's been great because he's he's been a, a very good uh first customer from the standpoint that he's had uh plenty of good feedback including any uh critical feedback that he felt like throwing out there yeah. When he gets his finished, uh, and I know he's got a bunch of other stuff going on too, but when he gets his finished, we'll have to get his impressions and, and um, you know, how it worked out for him. For sure. Okay. Well, you keep hinting at some of these other things. So tell us about some of the other things you and Jerry are working on. Well, the other big thing that uh, I'd like to get out there is that uh, we've both been involved with uh, what's called the Hawk program here. And it's a, it's a youth aviation group. 
And HAWK stands for High Country Aviation Workshop for Kids. And uh, we are currently just about to complete a Zenith 701 with the kids that has been about about a two-year project, two-and-a-half-year project. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, we do it every Saturday. We're out there for about six hours with uh, 10 or 12 kids. Um, some of them are actively in flight training. Uh, three of them actually are. Uh, the kids that are a little younger than that are mostly just learning how to build um, and or being in ground school. We have a good ground school that happens twice a month as well. And, uh, you know, it's I, I really have to give praise to um, Jerry and, and the guys that are, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if Jerry said this in the beginning, but uh, you've been an A.M.P. for how long? <laughs> Many, many years. Yeah, I don't know. I've been flying over 50 years. It's depressing, but true. Anyway, you know, Jerry and the other the other people involved out here just just have a ton to offer the the youth, and uh, we're really proud of the program that uh, has been put together. Um, you know, I didn't start it. I jumped in about halfway through it, and uh, um, just wanna just wanna put that out there as as an example of. of something that we try to get other EAA groups into. Um, our chapter 800 is heavily involved in our, in our uh, youth group. And uh, um, it's just an awesome thing to see kids get excited about being out at the airport, working on airplanes, getting to fly airplanes, um, learning how to be safe around airplanes. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's something that I got through my through my dad, but it seems like it's somewhat of a lost thing. You don't see it in too many garages. And and one thing I admire with you, Jeff, is I I know you're heavily involved with you and your son in in aviation as well. Yeah, it's um. I mean, we have to help bring the next generation into the fold. And if we if we don't take an active role. Um, you know, we can't expect that things are going to continue and flourish like they have in the past. You know, we have to we have to get off the sidelines and, and get actively involved. I think it's great that you guys are are creating your own solution on what that involvement looks like. I'd love to see you be able to export some of your techniques and successes to others. I'd love to do that here in Kansas City. Well, I think that uh, I think it can be done just about anywhere, to be honest, Uh you know, it just it just takes that kind of a mindset as far as you're going to go after the youth. And, you know, one of the other things that we've been doing the last couple of years is uh, we put on an aviation camp through the college here. And uh, they in fact, they love it. They they uh, request us every year and we can have as as much time or, or whatever that we want for these, these deals. And that's really where we end up meeting a lot of young kids that are uh, interested in aviation careers or just generally speaking, interested in aviation. And uh, um, it's been a cool thing. It's been a lot of fun. It's a lot slower building an airplane with kids than without them, but it's a lot more, it's, it's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. How many people are involved in the Hawk program, both on the adult side and on the kid side? I don't know the exact number, but I would estimate about thirty, about half adults and half kids. Okay, so you have you have a, a, a large number of adults that can kind of come in and, and assist at 
you know, it's been funny because uh, as the as the kids grew and the needs grew for the kids, I think what's happened is is that uh, a lot of re, you know retired people that have a lot to offer, and Jerry's one of them, uh, figure out real quick that uh, these kids really, you know, especially a lot of them that don't even pay, know what a screwdriver is until they get out there, and and we get to show them how to how to run tools, how to, how to use grinders, how to use drill presses, how, you know, all of those things. And, uh, it's, it's rewarding on both ends for sure. Well, that sounds cool. Maybe we ought to uh, tee that up as a potential future topic and really kind of dig into how you, how you organize the program, you know, what you do, kind of how you set realistic targets, you know, cause you say, oh, I want to build a plane with some kids. Well, that seems a little overwhelming at the front end. But by carefully kind of breaking it down, um, you know, I think you can spin that into a program that really does engage them. So I would like to hear more about that. Maybe we can come back to it in another podcast and do that in depth. I think I think Brian Miller, our president, uh, would would be more than happy uh, to do that. I think that'd be a great idea. Okay. Well, we'll look for that a, a little later down the road, and we'll do that. Okay. Um, as far as what else did you want to talk about? Um, well, what you guys, I think, I think you mentioned to me that you guys were, were looking at another Zenith project and possibly another Sonics project. Are these local or these, um, Hawk projects that you're doing? Well, the, so how, how Hawk is set up is it's set up as a nonprofit and, uh, in often cases we get, uh, donated half projects or if they're not completely donated they're they're offered up to us at a pretty low price um and so we currently have a 601 that is about 50 percent built and that's the next build on our as soon as the 701 is done um then we just recently picked up a sonex kit that is only about 10% done, but it's, uh, and it's actually a, a pretty old kit, but everything is there. It's been really well maintained. And, uh, so I would, I would venture to say maybe in about a year from now, we'll be starting that Sonex project with the kids. And if you guys know, this is, this is one thing I'd like to put out to you is, uh, if you guys know of anybody that, that may have purchased like a tail kit to anything, it doesn't really matter what it is and and didn't really do much with it and it's just sitting somewhere in somebody's attic we would like to have that stuff because we we also besides having real airplane projects which you have to have with kids is projects that are never intended to fly but are intended for the the learning portion of it and and so any of that stuff that we can get our hands on um, is a is a pretty high value to us Mm-hmm. John, uh, maybe you ought to hit up Carl. He's got that old tail off of his Sonics. Uh, it's a bit raggedy, but it would be a, a great teaching um, tool. All right, no, I, Carl's got twelve planes. He can donate a couple <laughs> of them to this program. <laughs> I know a couple people like In- that, including a Sonics that he has not flown for two years because he's gotten too uh, distracted. So. Yeah, well, 
he's uh, he's got a lot to play with. So I think I can kind of understand his struggle. But um, you know, you need to go over there and slap him around every now and then. Uh, he has my uh, my prop balancer right now, so I have a little bit of leverage to slap him around. <laughs> So, John, this is kind of off subject, but you had mentioned, I believe, through an email that uh, um, somebody had put a set of tip extensions with large uh, winglets, and and he he ended up in a spin scenario that uh, was difficult to get out of. And I was hoping to get to talk to you about that. Uh, that that wasn't me. So okay. I don't know who you talked to about that. Gotcha. Okay. Although that would be a question that I would have, you know, with your your wing extensions is the uh, the flight testing that you've done and right. in the extremes, um, you know, really putting it through its uh, its uh, flight profile and making sure that everything is uh, is still you know acceptable within the uh, the parameters. Sure, and and like I said earlier in the. In the podcast, uh, the the real rigorous spin testing is is still to be done. Um, all I can report at this point is it's difficult to get it into a spin in general, as I tried to yesterday. Tim, we've seen this with some of the other light sports where they've put sexy looking winglets on there that you know have a, a nice vertical sweep at the tip and they look really nice. Then they go out and they test fly them. They're like, wow, that didn't work at all. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, when you start doing that type of thing, you get some weird aerodynamics, you know, that that might be a little more difficult to deal with than just a, a wingtip. Sure. And I'm I'm focusing on a lot of the uh, I'm getting more into competitive uh, soaring and seeing what is happening in the soaring community with wingtips and modifications and turbulators and all, all this stuff. It's like every little minor thing they do seems to have some other impact they haven't foreseen. Absolutely. And that, uh, you know, like, like I said, I haven't found anything negative yet, but uh, we, we have not fully tested the entire envelope, and uh, as, especially in the area of spin. What I will say about the, the little tiny winglet that I put on this tip is – Almost a hundred. Well, it really is. It's a hundred percent show, and I believe it has almost no effect on good or bad on the flight performance of it. It looked good. That was not part of the lift curve or or dealing with the vortices. I, I think it would <clears throat> perform exactly the same with or without it. Yeah. To me, it's appealing to another uh, Sonics uh, pilot that I highly respect. He thinks it's ugly. So, you know, there's okay. two different opinions. Sure. I won't n- mention him, but he he uh, he flies for a major airline. <laughs> You're not going to throw him under the bus? Oh, we, we never throw Mike under the bus. Never. <laughs> hey, it is, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. It doesn't it doesn't exactly fit the the. Uh, and I'm going to call this beauty because I, obviously I love the Sonics, but it's, it's squared up boxy aluminum look doesn't really fit with this sort of organic, uh, shaped tip. 
And and when I was doing it, really, it it it, it was going to look good or bad or whatever, but it really had to do with what I thought it was going to do performance wise. But other than the little tiny winglet that uh, I put on there and just decided I liked it. Personally, I think it just looks more modern. I mean, the 737 Max has winglets, top and bottom. So right. why didn't you put one on the bottom too? Because <laughs> he well, didn't have the $40 million Boeing had to refine that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's been a fun project for sure. And I think uh, it what will be exciting is to have more and more people out there flying it and, you know, giving, giving input uh, is – a lot more valuable than me giving uh, the feedback. You know what I mean? Uh, well, and if you guys fly your planes into Oshkosh this year, um, we ought to have a nice little gathering and uh, people can get, get their eyes on these in person, perhaps. That is the plan at this point, is for Jerry and I to both fly out. Yeah. Uh, although at Camp Sonics, we're going to have to separate these guys by about what four feet from our, our normal lineup. Because they're going to be wider. To occupy a second row is what we're going to need. Yeah, I'm thinking they're just going to have to be in their own row. Well, so far, the biggest drawback <laughs> I've seen yet is it takes up more room in the hangar. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Tim, Jerry, um, as we kind of wrap this up, uh, is there anything that you have your sights set on down the road? Anything that um, you might want to share or are they just uh, ideas that are not ready for the light of day yet? Well, I would say after flying Jerry's with the turbo and the tips, the, it's it's quite impressive. So I, I definitely would like to add turbo to mine. But uh, as far as the Son X is concerned, I, I don't know what else I'm going to be doing other than just flying the heck out of it. We've got other projects that are non-Son X related, but uh, as far as this particular thing, yeah, it's it's just a great airplane, and I, I, I'm very happy with uh, the fact that I that we were able to get it to where it was a legitimate two-place airplane, even with the, the small motor at, at these altitudes. It's worked well. Well, cool. Um, I think that's a good place to, to tie this one off. Uh, Gary, John, any, um, any last-minute things that we need to circle back to and, and touch up before we close off? No, I think this is a good episode. I think... Uh you know, seeing some guys that are, are kind of pushing uh, the design a little bit, I think they've done a really good job of, uh, of of vetting the potential issues. I'm excited. I like the idea. I'm not sure I'm ready to jump to it, but you know what? I think Gary and I are going to have to fly over there and take a look at these things. Sounds like fun. Yeah, you need some place to go for a, a good burger anyway. So, yeah, what a perfect place. I will fly in Gary's plane, but I'd li- rather fly in my Sonics because I can get there half in half the time. Um, <laughs> but you know, flying in Gary's Zenith is is always fun, and I get to see a lot more of the uh, the wildlife because you're going across so much slower. Um, <clears throat> I haven't flown in the Grand Junction yet, and I'd love to do it. And so, uh, guys, I'll be uh, I'll be contacting you. That'd be great. All right. Well, I think this is a good time to, to wrap it up. Tim, Jerry, appreciate all the details. Um, I think it's awesome how you guys are out there pushing the pushing the state of the art forward for the Sonics design. And uh, it's pretty exciting. 
Well, thank you, and thanks for having us on. This was a this was a fun opportunity, and and really just to get to talk to you guys, and uh, um, I'm excited to meet everybody sometime in the future. Yeah, and Tim, um, I I mentioned I'll put the link to your Facebook page in the show notes. But if you have any other items that you would like to put in there specifically, just uh, send them to me in an email. I'll hang all that stuff, uh, contact info, whatever you want to, to make available to people, I'll put in the show notes, and that way it'll make it easy for people to find. Will do, and, and I would like to give a shout-out to Don Bowen. He's been uh, uh, fantastic and uh, a really good feedback for for a first customer and Obviously, I haven't been been able to help him with the install other than uh, through email and phone, and uh, he's been a huge help. So I appreciate that and look forward to his uh, pretty amazing Sonex that he plans on flying out, I believe not this year, but next year. Is that the take you got on, yeah. th- on that, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. I think he's um, he's working a few other things right now. It's funny because um, when I first heard about this, I thought, man, Don would be a perfect guy to do this. Don does some really interesting and innovative stuff. And, you know, he's an AMP. He's got a lot of experience. He is absolutely not afraid to uh, to get out there and customize. And I really like seeing his stuff. So perfect uh, person to kind of help you refine the all the little details and the instructions and all that. Absolutely. He's been fantastic. Well, good deal. Um, just uh, as a, a final note, um, I want to make a plug out there. People can start thinking about the 2020 Midwest Sonics fly-in. So this is coming up at the beginning of June. It'll be a Saturday, June 6th. And so Frank Klimek and and uh, Rick Wants, um, these guys have been hosting it at the Fayetteville Airport, and that's in North Arkansas. It's actually at Drake Field. They've done a great job the last couple of years. I mean, just a phenomenal location. It's right by the, the military museum, right on the field. Got a great meeting spot. It has been a ton of fun to do it. So if you're anywhere in the in the Midwest or in, uh, in the surrounding areas, put this on your calendar. Uh, Kip Lurie came down from Atlanta last year. And I think he had the, the longest distance flight coming in. But it's a great time. Uh, come in on Friday. Stay the night. We're probably going to do a, a kickoff dinner Friday night somewhere in town. And just have a, a really good sort of down-home Sonics fly-in. So get it on the calendar and hope to see you guys all there. Where is that again? That is in North Arkansas. It's actually in Fayetteville. And Drake Field, the identifier is Foxtrot Yankee Victor. So Fayetteville. And uh, I'll put some links to it in the show notes. You can find uh, the announcement and the event flyer on the Sonics Builders discussion forum. And uh, you can find those links on the show notes here as well. Got it. All right. Well, that wraps this episode up. For anybody that wants to uh, look at all those details in the show notes, you can find that at sonicsflight.com slash 69. You can subscribe to Sonics Flight, find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or you can just click it right from the website and listen to it directly from the computer. Send us an email if you have thoughts or topic suggestions or just any other input. You can find that email on the website or send it directly to feedback at sonicsflight.com. And with that, uh, I am so glad that winter is uh, on its way out and spring is at least uh, on the horizon. I am ready for some good flying weather. John, I hope you get out there and get a chance to uh, put some more hours on the Super B before you, you know, start chopping on it again to put some custom wingtips on. 
Oh yeah, it's it's happening. Um, you know, I, I, I've been uh, challenged because now I'm a uh, I'm also a sailplane owner, so it, that 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 is going to take some of my interest away from the Sonics over this uh, this summer. I, I look at it like a win-win. You can fly your sailplane and you can work on your Sonics, and that way you have the best of both worlds. Well, yeah, the sailplane will go out when the weather's really uh, conducive, and the Sonics will go out when it isn't. Maybe you can tow your glider or your sailplane with the Sonics. <laughs> well, I tow for the glider club, too, so I have actually three passions. I like to tow with the Pawnee, I like to fly my Sonics, and I like to... Uh, soar with the eagles. Well, one of our one of our CFIs, uh, he's a retired airline pilot, and he is uh, actively looking for a, uh, a motor glider to bring to the group, our hot group. And uh, I'm sure he would be very interested in talking to you and getting any information on on possibly bringing. Uh, sailplane training to to what we're doing here. Yeah, well, uh, definitely uh, make a make a contact with me. Um, we're our glider club is primarily, at least right now, a uh, training club. So perfect. All right. Well, once again, Tim, Jerry, uh, thanks for all your comments and insights, and great talking to you. And uh, look forward to seeing you guys here real soon. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, John. Views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slack podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.